0: We are back for another episode of Bitcoin Magazine Live, and it is I, your host, Q, coming to you yet again from my mother's basement, and I'm joined by my co-host, extraordinaire P. How goes it, P?
1: As always, it goes fantastically. That's all I got. It's amazing. Uh, Super excited for our guest today. Uh, I know you as Regulatory Jason, but your your God-given name is Jason Brett, as I understand it. Uh, Your last name has never been of interest to me. You're amazing. (laughs) we go way back. Can you give us an introduction to who you are, what you're about? And uh, we'll dive in.
2: Well, I'll tell you my God given real name is Jason Obolski. Um, I changed it along the way because no one could really pronounce it. But Obolski is from a Polish derivation, I believe um, a man who walks in the footsteps of God. However, That's incredible. Um, for the purposes of this show, uh, not to be, uh, you know, Uh, kind of a heretic but I'll be maybe the man that walks in the footsteps of P&Q so with Brett as my last name uh, I changed it because I just everyone always mispronounced it actually I'll tell you what really did it for me and my parents encouraged me to change my name was I put my car in the shop P and I couldn't get it back for four weeks because when I put it in the shop they said oh no this isn't your car because I had, they had misspelled my last name on the title. And I said, that's it. I'm done. And so Jason Brett, oh Brett is my middle name. So yeah, Jason Brett. And I do a lot of policy work around Bitcoin. And I've been doing it also around blockchain since um, 2016. I got my whole start in the world of finance um, in 2008 during the financial crisis where I was actually... A capital markets regulator in Washington, DC, for one of the uh, top regulators, FDIC, dealing with all of the financial crisis stuff. So it's nice to be here.
1: Thanks for joining. And, you know, I first was introduced to you on Clubhouse. Um, We would be having these, you know, very, very kind of far ranging, some would say uh, frenetic conversations. And you always would come in and you have an incredible sense of humor. And you also, it is backed by a deep body of knowledge and an ability to, uh, I would say, connect many different ideas and concepts from, uh, you know, the regulatory side to the legal side, the the macro side, and really bring it all together and offer incredibly um, informed opinions. So I'm trying to say you're a great dude and excited, but that's uh,
2: that's really nice. I, I, you know, I tell this to everybody, uh, P. That you know, in this sort of the way we've connected is when I started in 2008, I kind of missed any opportunity in terms of being in the regulatory world for four or five years of the financial crisis of maybe being quote unquote in Bitcoin early. But I had this experience where I was on the inside of the government, seeing our financial world collapse and realizing and saying things to myself that we all talk about regularly now, how like the dollar is going to be worth nothing. There's really nothing backing it. And this is like a second chance for me in life at my age to kind of come back and see all these younger people talking about this experience and i feel like it's it's something i've always thought about and can really bring home when people are confused or trying to figure out maybe why they want to you know buy bitcoin or maybe they want to go buy DeFi or something uh, you know out there really crazy right that will then end up getting them wrecked and it's all just from my initial experiences as a regulator so it's, it's exciting for me to see all the people here talking about what I was thinking about and felt like I was the only one thinking about, gee, the Federal Reserve keeps getting bigger and bigger all the time in 2009. But I appreciate it. And your, your sense of humor and your um, take no shit from anybody kind of attitude on Clubhouse was awesome. And it's just so happy to see you here um, God live on Bitcoin Magazine. So it's very exciting for you as well. You're a great dude too. Thank you. I uh, I, still to learn I, just, about I still have to learn about Q though. But oh
1: you you are in for a treat. Q is absolutely incredible. Um, he he just crushed it on the on the news desk and has been doing that for a while and it's uh, at the at the conference. He's amazing. But I wanted I, I want to, to share thing. one
0: quick story though? Go for it about for it. like names fucking things up. But P do you remember the time that me putting my full name into the Bitcoin twenty two speakers profile like broke? The entire algorithm that you made it everyone with a q in their name started to get my bio
1: yes yes
0: you have now scared me from ever listing an apostrophe which is you know, <laughs> legally in my name i refuse to put it in yeah the
1: i messaged letter. you very angrily and was like uh, bro you can't just like fill out the form for like five people and you were like i didn't do shit and i was like oh no and then it was all my fault but i still blame you um also jason i just want to say you know i imagine you in um you know, in in the early days of your Bitcoin career, just being in a very serious meeting in Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, everybody's talking and then the camera pans across and slowly it like fades into like, and you get like more and more frustrated. And then you just stand up and scream, the dollar's going to zero. And then you throw your briefcase and then storm out. Um, Don't try to tell me that's not what happened. That's what I choose to believe.
2: You know, I mean, I'm feeling better now that they've, you know, let me out of the prison in DC after I did that stunt, um, you know, because obviously they 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 put you into quarters and protect you when you do things crazy like that. No, I you know, like I'll tell you this. It's funny that you say that because, like, for a while we had like a lot of the companies really talking about it. We still do, like IBM in particular. And the focus was to talk about blockchain, but they couldn't talk about Bitcoin. It was literally in their policy; they couldn't use the word to describe it. So it's kind of like, um, you know, Jeopardy, right? Like, let me tell you about this thing, and kind of like moves money around on the internet. It's, it's like maybe got some bits and bytes, and you know, it's sort of like a coin, but like, but you couldn't say the word Bitcoin. You literally that is fucking crazy. Their, I know it idea. was against their company policy. You couldn't describe that in DC, because wow. So so like, and, and if you go back in history, and it's funny, I was just on the Charlie Shrem podcast. We we're talking about how. There was the, originally the Bitcoin Foundation 2014. And when that fell apart a little bit, that also between that and the Silk Road made it such that, you know, talking about Bitcoin is like trying to go talk about cocaine or heroin with a, you know, a congressman. So it's been a challenging environment. It's starting to get better now. Good stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: I want to throw something out there because for it. it's relevant news. That, and I got distracted on Twitter, full transparency, because someone finally found the clip of, do you guys know who the besties are? Like the all-in podcast, Jason Calacanis, David Sachs, Chamath Palihapitiya, David mm-hmm. Friedberg. I do enjoy the, their show. Um, but it was like I want to say 6 months ago when Solana like did its pump, they started talking about the fact that like a couple of them, David Sachs and Chamath Palihapitiya, like were early on Solana, but like early I put in quotes because Chamath is like bragging about how like they got gifted Solana for free or on a steep discount and now their bag is worth over a billion dollars and that they're, they're literally joking about like how they're dumping it onto retail without explicitly saying this of course but like that was what my takeaway was from it and we're yesterday watching Solana literally shut down we're further reminded of the scam that that is and I'm curious from a regulatory perspective like with these things not being deemed as securities right now like who is to blame is it the lack of education out there or is it the people running these scams or is it regulators for not stepping in
2: Uh, that's such a great question um so one thing i think that's interesting is if you look back at 2016 the sec did an interesting move with Ethereum, let's call it, where they had this report called the DAO report. And they kind of broke down why this would be a security, even though the DAO, as we all know, was this initial project that got exploited and was shut down. So it's kind of like if you're a regulator, let's pick a project that's not live and show you why this would have been a security. Um, So they didn't come out and do enforcement action against those folks in Ethereum. They just sort of made an example. And so going forward, if you do something like this, you could face regulation. Um, I think in retrospect, that approach probably has allowed the ecosystem to grow quite a bit, but has also led to a lot of the perception that you may be a security, but it's okay to still operate because it's really just not that clear whether it is or it's not. And there's no real enforcement. It's kind of like uh, the best example I can give you. And by the way, the regulators are aware of this. They realize a lot of people operate, realizing they're probably securities. And it does not um, you know, uh, it does not seem to change some of these behaviors. And so what the regulators are starting to realize, and I think people are starting to see, is more of an enforcement. But the best example I can give you is it's kind of like being on a on a highway and you and I are driving and we both suddenly realize, Hey, (laughs) speed limit says 55, but no one's pulling anybody over, you know, let's go hundred, let's go 110. I see you going 110. I better go 120, you know, like, and and that's, and, and then you get people getting wrecked. Right. So that's like the, the analogy I would use for sort of where we are today. It's not that people don't know. It's kind of the, we're in the don't ask, don't tell portion of our crypto history. And, um, I have a feeling that's going to change. I've heard rumors and I've heard enough informal discussions where I think the regulators now realize what exactly what you're saying, Q, and what they've decided is there has to be some enforcement. I think initially that was tried with Ripple, but, um, you know, and I pause because this country, I mean, P, you know, it's like, if you have enough money, you can fight anything in court long enough, you know, so... If you notice some of the scams that got shut down, some of the ICOs. If you look at some of the smaller operations, they almost were doing the same thing as Ripple, but they they you know they didn't have the money to keep fighting it in court. So that's one of the down, downsides of the legal system, uh, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. I, another thing that happens, and I say this as if it's a profound statement, but obviously it's not. As you know, you have these everybody's doing the calculation of like, hey, how much can I get away with? And then, what are the fines going to be? So, you just factor in, like, well, if I'm going to make $100 million and I'm going to have to pay a $1 million fine or a $10 million fine, that's still an incredible return. And so, that's an interesting analogy that, you know, kind of being on the highway and seeing the pack around you uh, driving 120, and you're like, well, I guess I can push it to 119 and be. As so long, so long as you're not the fattest right? car on
0: the road, right? It's like, yeah, stay competitive. Yeah. I'm curious, though, if things like, oh, maybe I'm too loud. Sorry, guys. I'm trying to fix the audio. I see your comments in the chat. Do regulators who don't, who barely understand the internet, let alone like the technologies that we are discussing on a daily basis and interacting with on a daily basis, are they the best people to be making these judgments or should it be coming from, you know, the communities and trying to push in the right way. I say that knowing full well that that is essentially what we have been doing to no avail. And that's why you're seeing rug pull after rug pull and everything unwind over the last two weeks. It just, it feels like we're putting our faith in the wrong people, but maybe I'm just so turned off by the government at this point and I'm not giving them credit.
2: Yeah, I think the people at the top, like if you look at the person who is the head of the SEC digital asset, division um she has a a law degree from a top school she has a degree from mit in computer science and if you listen to her talk enough about it it's clear that she understands it um when we say like the regulators just don't understand i was in the position in 2008 where you could argue i i would not have any understanding of how a cds trade would work but i had to do an analysis for the chairwoman sheila Baer of the fdic with a lot of other folks i was a junior analyst to look at how people were actually trying to trade Citigroup to zero and so as a regulator i had to be inventive to understand how the trade actually happened on the floor um to see people were buying the credit default swaps shorting city hoping Citigroup would go out of business and then they could benefit by cashing in on their CDS, which is ultimately why the SEC froze short selling for a month back in 08 to help the economy keep going. So when you say like, the regulator doesn't understand, and I don't want to pick on you, Q, but I want to say there is, and I was just at a conference where someone finally used the right word. They said, there's an, a micro economy of these lawyers and consultants out there who are making huge amounts of money over the fact that they keep saying it's really not clear what the guidance is and they're making tons of money and they, they live off the fact that there's this lack of clarity. And at the end of the day, the one person that's been um, starting to come out of the cave and share it, I think, well, is Michael Saylor from MicroStrategy saying, it's very clear, You know, if you're operating in a way where you just said at the beginning of the show, you're dumping on retail, non-suspecting retail investors, are bearing the brunt of giving you your profit, and then it's their loss. That's like what the SEC was created to defend. So yeah, maybe there's some lack of clarity, but that microeconomy of like lawyers is big. It's not just micro, and it's hard. You know, that's that's where sort of there's these points in society where, you know, we're you, me, and P are on this highway all competing, right? No one's pulling anybody over, and you know, you're going 130, I'm going 125. And he's uh, like telling his lawyer saying, hey, I want to go 135. And then before you know what, the lawyers are talking to this and they're trying to tell the regulators, oh, no, they're only going 30. It might look like they're going 125, you know, but no, 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 they're really they're following the speed limit. And, and that's where you get into this debate uh, into like what is actually reality. And so I think we have to be really careful when we say the regulators don't necessarily understand something. I bet they understand a lot more. And I think a lot of people make a living off of just saying that idea of, well, the regulators just don't understand it. I think they do, but I also would say, and this is maybe where you want to give up on government. And I understand that. And I hope people like you don't ultimately totally give up on government is the regulator's hands ultimately get tied a lot of times by whatever the current statutes are, by whatever the politics of the day are, you know, that's where, that's where things probably run off the road where.
1: Yeah. How does the, like the sort of revolving door, Within the, you know, Bitcoin and the quote-unquote, well, let's just call it the shitcoin space, as it pertains to regulation, how does that work? Is it any different from the existing revolving door we see around, you know, uh,
2: every other industry? I think it's uh, the same. I mean, same revolving door. Like every, you know, there's nothing really different about it. Um, and I wish it, I wish I could say it would be a little different with this type of revolution that we're all experiencing. I think uh, Hinman, the Hinman speech. um, So Bill Hinman, director of finance at the SEC um, was at a law firm and he gave this speech saying Ethereum is not a security uh, when he was at the SEC. But his law firm was a member of the enterprise Ethereum Alliance. And so his law firm, and he had been told by his speech that he probably should stay away from saying one thing or another about it. So the only evidence uh, that people go by for certainty in this environment as to why Ethereum is not a security is because of what one person said who was probably biased in his speech. And it was just a random speech from someone that wasn't even a commissioner. So that's where I think um, he's now out of the SEC and he's now into all these, as you say, like, you know, the shit coins and other, back at the law firm doing his thing. Hey, Bill. Hi, Bill Hinman, how you doing? You wanna come on the show, hang out and talk to us? <laughs> no, I, I look, I, and I'm, I'm, you know, if Hinman, if you're listening to this, Hinman, like I, there's no, like, I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm not trying to criticize you about it, but if you if you look at it from an objective standpoint, it's like, if you want somebody to come in and give a, a realistic interpretation of what one of these digital tokens is, and you're gonna say it's not a security, just I think everyone would agree you'd want that person to be fairly neutral. It's like kind of common sense, right? But, you know.
1: Yeah, I think, and I harp on this a lot, but, you know, it's as uh you know, where person Highlander uh, Charlie Munger uh, loves to say, you know, you show me the incentives, I'll show you the outcome. And I think there is a lot of effort put towards obscuring the actual incentives people love to kind of virtue signal and be like i am a just individual and i you know have come here to do what is right and good and that's i the error and i think the 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 issue is not that people are self-interested and self-serving i think that i think system that account for the reality which is that we are all self-serving individuals right there's there is uh, evolutionary pressure at the you know the 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 genotypic level at the group level at the individual level at the societal level and those things should be celebrated and uh, acknowledged uh, and they certainly you know impact business as well everyone is out for the things that they care about uh, which includes their own self interests and the interests of those that are close to them and i think that uh, that should just be acknowledged and you know accounted for and as I say often, uh, you know, that's one of the things that's so compelling to me about Bitcoin is that it it fig- it has it successfully starts to align the incentives. So what is good for the individual is also good, in many cases, for the network. And it's uh, not all the time. There's always, there's issues there. You know, nothing is perfect, including Bitcoin. But um, I would just love to see the political realm, the regulatory Well, you guys get the gist anyway. Do you ever Um, think that will happen? Do you ever think we'll live in a world where the actual incentives from a regulatory, from a business perspective, from a political perspective will be acknowledged? Or do do you think that, uh, as I do, that that's just, there is too strong of an incentive to obscure that fact in order to convince people that one is virtuous and just?
2: I think everyone kind of understands there's a little bit of bias in the system. So I don't know if we'll ever get to that point. I wanted to go back a little bit, kind of ask you, like with you talking about this idea of like the, one thing I hear a lot that's interesting is how Bitcoiners, like the way we talk about this is, and, and P, I know you have such a great ability to sort of hone in on when somebody might be shitcoining, you know, or there might be some element of they're trying to talk really good about Bitcoin, but maybe they have like a shitcoin going on in the background, you know, And and the question is, when it really comes back to that idea of like, if you're going to be then dumping it on the unsuspecting investor. And so when you think about Commissioner Hester Peirce, she's like a libertarian. It's like, if we didn't have this government working, you know, overseeing all the different things that we're doing, right, with the SEC, let's say, imagine they didn't, weren't out of it. It's like, we have this one Bitcoin and we're saying, hey, this one Bitcoin is the most amazing thing. And then we have, uh, this other opportunity that is, is like that, but there's that loss of value of that person who then goes and buys the quote unquote shitcoin, and then ends up losing their money. Um, and they didn't have that, that there's that opportunity loss where they could have just put it in Bitcoin in that fair system. And it must, it, it's, it kind of drives us all nuts. And I think Q, a lot of times, I think I hear this, this concept that we're, being criticized as individuals in the Bitcoin ecosystem, because we're asking the regulators to pull out their, you know, sticks and start beating up people and tell them to enforce the law already, because all these people are unsuspectingly buying something that's no good. But at the same time, there's, is it sort of we're in this just gold rush where people will either realize what the good stuff is and get it. And there's just always going to be those charlatans. That's kind of just the way history works. And we just come to, accept it because in the Hester Purse world, you know, the, the warning is we, we don't want to necessarily get to that enforcement side of things so much because then we just need somebody to come in who can change the system and said, hmm, I need to do this to Bitcoin. Before they know it, they're putting the screws to Bitcoin all day long. So at a certain point, I think we have to kind of like do our best out there, P, to kind of tell people what could be a shitcoin. coin, but if they're going to go do it they're gonna go do it you know and, and not rely on a regulator to solve that problem for us I could not Jason, agree i think more.
0: i think you touch on exactly like my issue with it which is this idea that if, if people want to go and invest in whatever they want they should have the right to but right now there are so many blockers and rules around like i'm not an accredited investor so i can't participate in private markets unless i fall under the friends and family investor pool but even if i fall under that investor pool class i can't sell my shares like i can't go shop my shares out at least i live in the state of california i love sports i make a lot of money gambling on fantasy football But the truth is, like, that money has to go through different channels and make it look like I'm in a different state. Like, there are all of these weird rules that are in place. And I think this is not something you should note on a recorded podcast queue. Oh, what? That I've literally made the equivalent of like one family's annual salary in my lifetime earnings on fantasy football? Yes, that is (laughs) that specifically is uh... that specifically? Mm -hmm. Like, the average annual income is my balance on. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, it it goes back in my mind when you like start to like kind of play with the strings and you loosen everything out you realize like well why is this an in, incentive structure there? like why is it or or why are these guardrails there and as you peel the layers back you start to realize like oh it's because they control the flow of money and because they have that control of money they want to have this semblance of understanding of We want to limit how much money goes into this market and limit how much money goes into this market. And so right now where my head is at, like full transparency, yes, I do want to see something come out, at least that says and separates Bitcoin from crypto at large, calling everything else a security and allowing bitcoin to be denominated as an asset that is my short-term solution my long-term solution however is to just simply separate the money from the government and in doing so you loosen these restriction guardrails if the government has no say in money how it's printed how it's spent how it's used who's going to stop them from me investing in the latest startup because i deem it as a good investment Who's going to stop them from telling me how I should spend my money? How I should even fit it. There was this study or whatever. I didn't really read it, but some something went around online talked about how like there's a good majority of people who make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and are living a paycheck to paycheck. I'm sorry, but if that's you, you're a fucking idiot. I know, but also, what like, are you...
1: yeah. but
0: that's your prerogative. Like you're an idiot. Absolutely. But that's your prerogative. No one's telling you how to spend your money. You are making those decisions. You're right. And these limits and clamps aren't put on people like that because someone who makes 250 K fuck it, you live in a jurisdiction that doesn't let you gamble, but you like to gamble. Guess what? You're probably going to Vegas more often than you should, (laughs) or like your, your salary dictates that you're actually able to be an accredited investor. And then you're, you're maybe investing in things that probably are scams and you don't know better, but just because you have that salary. In the eyes of the regulators, you are therefore deemed oh, a better investor. And these clamps don't in- impact them. These clamps impact people who make less than six figures, who want to try and, and break out and above. The biggest gains aren't made in the public markets. The biggest gains are always made in private markets, historically speaking. And you've just taken out the population that needs those level of gains because of the regulations in place. But I'm just now ranting and rambling at this point, bringing in a lot of different things.
2: No, look, I think uh, the accredited investor rules needs to be uh, taken taken down. Um, That's something that is a real blocker. Um, I'll give Representative Bobby Rush a real shout out here. He's introduced a bill the last two or three congressional sessions in a row. Um, And he talks about using blockchain technology. So for what it's worth for those who are listening on the show and you know our all focus is Bitcoin. But he talks about this of giving people an opportunity uh, who are in minority classes or don't have a lot of money, the opportunity to make these big gains. And it creates that space of why aren't we exploring this technology more to do it? And so that's like, you know at some point or another, we have to be willing to, to realize that people, as you say, it's just as it's the prerogative for somebody who's making 250K a year to be, you know, bumming, you know, asking for gas at the gas station because they don't have money, to, you know, somebody who wants to just make some money, whether it's, you know, fantasy football or whether it's, um, you know, looking at a particular friend's stock, like you said, you know, th- th- those are opportunities that we need to start allowing ourselves to to en- enjoy, and 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 that's where, you know, it's funny that that the downside of this is can be right, and I mean we. talk about this for like hours, but is, so let's say we do have some clarity, like, so for Bitcoin, we have clarity, right? Like in that, we've been told it's a commodity, it's moved to the CFTC. We all agree with that, right? And even uh, Gary Gensler said, Bitcoin is definitely real, it has distributed systems, and it has cryptographic protections on keys that allow this ownership of individuals. So there's no real argument, right? That, That Bitcoin's now a commodity, which if you look at all the other shit coins, they're like, Bitcoin has the holy grail. They're over at the CFTC. They don't have to worry about all this stuff. Well, just two weeks ago, um, a commissioner, Rossin Benham, who was just uh, nominated by Biden and uh, you know, the Senate confirmed his appointment to be the chair of the CFTC, um, said publicly in a ESG uh, forum about sustainability that um, he wants to develop a system of, uh, to move away from proof of work and that we should only have proof of stake in the industry because there's too much energy being used by Bitcoin. And this is the regulatory Bitcoin now. Um, And so that's where there's this like, it's like a trap door, right? Like we switch from the regulator, we think everything's good. And now we have the ESG attack coming at us from the CFTC on Bitcoin which makes no sense. They should be defending Bitcoin. But um, it really I don't, doesn't
1: make any sense at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's and, and the, the sad thing is that there's sometimes you wonder because you hear that's when you lose face in the government because he's just talking about it, assuming that Bitcoin uses all this energy and that's bad for the environment. And so therefore, we just have to move to proof of stake. And it's like okay yeah we have to start moving to proof of stake and all of us are like wait 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 you're all crazy people why are you leaving the room saying we have to go do proof of stake let's go back and look at that statement for a second and break it down plus you know for commissioner benham and others like the white house just issued an executive order on this and it was actually a very fair executive order on digital assets that's looking to compare proof of work to proof of stake, and they want to better understand it the whole point of doing an educational executive order, so we all do reports and think about it that aren't due till September. So why is Commissioner Chairman Benham, excuse me, in, in May, jumping to the conclusion already that we just need to eliminate proof of work models and move all the way over proof of stake without having that discussion and having that understanding um, that we need to have from a scientific perspective of what are we really talking about. So um, that's the danger. I don't know, you know, if we could come up on this show with a way for a regulator to be sort of a DAO almost, so it would not be influenced by just one person's opinion and could, you know, affect the rules so much, that'd be a pretty good start, right? Find a way to clamp down on the really bad ones that are out there, queue, but also keep things in a way where it doesn't shift to all the way to, okay, well, this is Bitcoin, this is safe. Oh, but now we have a problem with how much energy it uses. So we need to move on to other coins that aren't going to be so energy intensive
0: i got an idea for you but like couldn't we create a DAO that was just a super pack and like start putting them into specific candidates pockets and then all of a sudden you start to have because in essence in my opinion at least the current system is your donors your donor pool is your dow and the more money you a donor puts into that pool the more influence they essentially have which correct me if i'm wrong people like that isn't in, in essence the Technology behind a DAO. The more Dang. shares that you buy, the more influence you have in it. Like at its uh, root level, that's... like yes, there are nuances that are different, but at its root level, it's not necessarily
1: how much you buy. I and mean, there's there's many ways of setting up a DAO. But... but
0: a DAO set up strictly on the number of shares you hold, like a proof of stake DAO, which I under the assumption I, I don't dive into DAOs. So this is me just like completely talking out of my house, ass. But like, I'm just assuming that it would be proof of state given where they live. I mean, again, you're silences agreement. That's it. We don't need to dive. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I don't want to say
1: absolutely not, but I'm going to strongly imply that's what I said. Um, To your point too, Jason,
0: like there, this system right now that we have has this inherent flaw. Like I will just continue to use California and dictator Newsom as the example Look, I, whatever, fine. I have voted Democrat for like my entire life. If anything, like, yes, I do probably align more with more progressive social policies, but especially yeah. over the last two years where dictator Newsom has had this emergency mandate and like powers that he gave himself because of COVID, mm-hmm. he still has these powers. And throughout the last two years, he has just been giving no big contracts to big corporations that donated to his campaign. But no one wants to talk about that. But that, in essence, is is got in a, to a degree what you're describing. Where, hey, they've put enough money be, behind this candidate, and this candidate now is going to pay attention to what they care about. So that's why I present the idea of like let's create a an ESG DAO and or an ESG FUD DAO, and then we create a a mining DAO, we create a payment DAO, we create a sound money DAO. And then each of them start going after each politician, and all of a sudden, when they start to realize, like, wait, my biggest donor base now isn't Pfizer, my biggest donor now isn't Bank of America, it's the Bitcoin Dow. I
1: stopped paying attention after the third time you said Dow. Dow, I love you.
2: Yeah, I I feel like I I appreciate that that effort, and I encourage the idea of being imaginative, but um, no as P would say, sorry, Q, just a big no. What I will say is (laughs) I do think though that you're on the right track when you talk about how the industry can start to do its own sort of self-regulation, right? And (laughs) um, no, it was a really good try. It really, really was. (laughs) (laughs) It's going in the right direction. You're you're so kind, Jason. (laughs) But like, so for the FDIC where I came from, the FDIC is funded by assessments from the banks on the deposit insurance that they pay. So I'm not saying that, and please, I'm not saying, Nick Carter, I'm not saying that we need uh, to have Bitcoin be a system like the FDIC because he'd probably shoot me on site. What I am saying, though, is if you think about that system, the regulators, it's, the FDIC isn't like a regulator of the government that has to go to Congress, right? It's the industry really paying for the FDIC regulators. So at the end of the day, it's like you almost have a sense of self-regulation um, because you're all paying assessments into whatever the FDIC deposit pool was. So at some point or another, I think maybe if Bitcoin were to have its own regulator so we can get out of all these old antiquated terms of commodity security, you know, confusion for it and just say, look, this is a new form of digital asset class and have the regulators be part of the industry in a way and create... You know, there's lots of SROs, self-regulatory organizations. So we'll say, you know, the, the Winklevoss twins did a nice try with sort of the virtual commodities association, never really took off. But do you see a lot of that, right, with the SEC and the CFTC, like the Futures Industries Association, others like that, um, where maybe there's like a bit, yeah, Bitcoin Investment Association, right, a BIA or something that can help. Um, <laughs> i don't know if you're leaning over that way p you're trying to distract me but i remember our original uh basel guy that's i'm not don't know that that started on clubhouse remember that we were talking oh yeah about the guy that's how like you and i first connected was on our uh,
1: that's right
2: Yeah, the head of uh <laughs> head of this is the ultimate <laughs> the ultimate um first you know and and so guys yeah, totally lost my train of thought no no so yeah the sro so that's And that's what I'm saying, you know, so Q, like, I think, like, if we think about that, I I don't know how quite that works, but I think at some point or another, the grayscales that everyone in the world maybe needs to kind of, we all need to get together. We're like really committed to Bitcoin and kind of come up with a way of saying, Hey, we're going to police this stuff out. We're going to police out the, the shit coins. We're going to find a way to do some of our own governance that may be supplemented by the SEC and CFTC while you figure it out as a way of kind of so you don't have to ever come down and try to clamp down hard or or, or or do something that would be like really, really bad, which we've seen, right? We've seen China and others do things, just ban it outright. Um, we're probably not there, but it's, it's a sign of the growth of an industry when you're actually ready to have these self-regulators. It's, it happened a lot in um, with Wall Street when we saw what's now FINRA, which is you know really where any stockbrokers have to go get licensed before they can start selling you securities. But that grew out of um, them realizing they needed to really do some background checks in the brokers as Wall Street got bigger and was opened up more to the people. And I think maybe we, we need to think about that. Maybe that something like that will just organically grow. Um, and that way it's, it's, it's sort of part of the system. It's a self-regulatory organization, but it isn't attached to the government. It's something that we just police ourselves. We police that highway where everyone's going so fast. So people don't literally die.
1: I'm a big fan of, you know, I think the people rely on the government to ensure their safety too much. In my opinion, there is always a need for some kind of frameworks that, you know, enforce some kind of safety. But I think the uh, the idea to mention, to pull it back to something you mentioned earlier, Q, the report that came out recently that was like, you know, People making 250 a year are living hand to mouth, like, that is a choice. (laughs) Uh, uh, You do not have to be spending so much on money, and I think that's okay. As you said, like, you should be able to choose what you spend your money on, uh, what you invest in, what you use the electricity and the energy that you pay for. Like, you should get to decide exactly what you do with those things. And you should bear the consequences of those decisions. And so I think, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, the, it's this vicious cycle where when you start regulating or you start setting rules around why people can do things, you remove the responsibility from them to make the right decisions. And that makes people very, very lazy and people like being able to be lazy and that is a critical and egregious mistake um in my opinion everybody should be held accountable for the decisions they make and uh we shouldn't be looking i think that you know jason you spend a lot of time defending the ability of others to make those choices and to prevent regulators from from overstepping and i think that's kind of where we how we should be viewing it rather than sort of like what can we regulate further i think it's more about like what can we very clearly demonstrate to people that like no you are you you have radical responsibility you know um you are the one who makes the decision and you better be ready to bear the consequences
2: yeah Uh, one one thing maybe um because i'm getting older is i'm starting to think of it as like as if this is the gold rush is the people who get it it's kind of like that satoshi nakamoto quote if i don't have if you don't get enough time to explain it to you it's like for those here in the room for those listening who get it just keep stacking stats doing your thing you're unfortunate, you're going to have those people 20 30 years from now looking for handouts and realizing they made a mistake and, and i think the sad part about humanity is there's some people p that don't want to have that responsibility around right they want someone to tell them how to live how to how to do that you know oh i can have i can have, make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year but i still may not quite make ends meet but i'll have like some comfortable life and, you know, make that choice. I'll I'll take that choice. Uh, You know, it's like, I mean, that's, you know, where um, some people don't want that. They want that secure job. They want that. They just want to be told how to live. I don't know that that goes away. I don't know that that, that's the one thing that Bitcoin doesn't quite fix yet.
1: How dare you. How dare you imply that Bitcoin. (laughs) Uh, I hate that trope. what have we not talked about? What 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 is something that is super interesting to you that is uh, keeping you up at night or that you are super excited about uh, as it relates to the things that we've been talking about so far? Or Bitcoin in general?
2: I'd say the war in like Ukraine keeps me up at night and the possibility of what China might do with Taiwan um, and how that might affect, like, um, trigger another sort of mini World War III. Um uh, uh, it's the economy is tanking because we have a land war in Europe, and we just haven't had that in like 70 years. No one really like we, we talk about it, but it kind of doesn't go away. So I know,
1: what a crazy concept That was apparently, I mean, I was always told like no one fights land wars anymore. It's all yeah. cyber warfare and yeah. economic warfare.
2: But you know what the one thing that is like a really, really interesting thing that's like a like a ray of hope for me that, happened with the Ukraine-Russia war is I think there's a lot of really typical policymakers who are uh, like you know kind of experienced they've been in other administrations like Reagan administration others before and they're like yeah we can get our heads around this we got one clear enemy on the battlefield it's in Europe you know it's Zelensky versus Putin you know and that all makes sense but then we don't live in that world anymore though. And, and if you notice with Ukraine, one of the things that happened was all the raising of Bitcoin that they did to like help them for humanitarian reasons. Like in talking about a Dow, you know, what about crowdfunding a war, right? You know I mean? Like the, for the side that you want to win that war. This isn't like military leaders, like France deciding they want to make sure the United States, could get a good start. So they intervene on behalf of the, you know, revolution, you know, to push England off. This is like just random people throwing out their Bitcoin, trying to sway the direction of a particular military um, conquest. It's crazy. And then you have people worried about Russia and are they going to use Bitcoin you know, to thwart the US dollar? And I think that to me, that showed me that we're on that like 3D chessboard P where things don't work the way they used to work. And Bitcoin has now reached the point in our society where Governments are starting to figure out they have to deal with Bitcoin, and it's really, really scary. This is what keeps, part that keeps me up at night is, what, what are they going to do? Are there going to be some reaction like China going to Taiwan for a lot of other reasons? But one of the reasons probably would be to shut down chip production. So that's not just about Bitcoin, that's about everything, right? And we're still not there with the foundries here in the US. So um, that and, you know, uh, milk token anything about uh you know broken yes. and, and uh <laughs> and i, <loved> I <laughs> love the, how the reference that's all deep <laughs> cut
1: i've been i've been talking about i've been trying to promote insect milk these days um insects you know you've been told by the authorities that you can't milk an insect as they're not a mammal and they don't produce milk but that's just the man trying to get into your head and prevent you from um embracing the future of not only education but also um nutrition Q, I don't see a
0: nipple on the almonds that I milked this morning.
1: I'll send you a picture later. Q, you always have a, we, we, we you have a different perspective on a lot of the stuff that we talk about here. You come at it from a uh, more of a market focused and macro focused perspective than I do. Um, I tend to like to, you know, live in a cardboard box under a bridge and uh, just focus on the technology behind Bitcoin and and uh, you know things like that. What are your thoughts from a macro perspective on what we've talked about with Jason so far?
0: I mean, if we've learned anything in the last two years, it's how much the government's decisions, and quite frankly, any branch of the government can impact the public markets and the economy at large. And I think there's a a larger issue that sometimes, like in Bitcoin we talk about a lot, and it's the control of the money supply. Like the US government essentially dictates and controls the entire world economy based on decisions it makes around their monetary policy because every other country is tied to our monetary policy it's fascinating to me because like the incentive structure around controlling money is to incentivize those who control the money to maintain control of the money like that is the incentive right there and it's literally just like a self-fulfilling prophecy every decision that gets made out of the government is like, there's, I can't, and I challenge anyone to present one decision that has not been to self serve the government and genuinely was to help the people. There's not a single decision historically that I could point to and say this actually helps the masses and this wasn't to help you, your agenda, your reelection campaign. Like, that system is what's broken. The, the two things I want changed are term limits for every single role in government. Even if you are appointed by the president, you have term limits, and remove the money from state. I think those two things solve a lot more problems than anything else, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just an idealist. I I do fully believe that the free markets, if they were allowed to operate on their own, would correct because If you have a bad product, people aren't going to buy it. And your product could just be the way you govern or a phone or whatever. But if the free market decides that, hey, we don't like this product, we're going to move on to the next one, the market will continue. Society will continue to move on. But in our current system, because there's so much money that gets tied up into everything and it all goes back to the fact that this business was started off of a loan from the bank and so the bank more than anything can't afford for this business to fail and so as a result you now have an extra incentive to find some way to like prop a bullshit business up that doesn't need to exist and then it just like continues to survive and skirt on.
2: One thing I uh, think is interesting, that statement you made, is if you think about it, it's kind of like Thomas Jefferson concept of a revolution is good for government every 20 years or so, every now and then. When you say term limits, and I'm thinking about it from the DC Insider, but I'm like, yeah, that's something people have talked about, you know, like term limits make sense. I could be down with that, you know. Get so much in trouble on these shows, but, you know, Nancy Pelosi, you know, probably like, you know, with term limits, she could be monitoring her husband more, no DUIs, stuff like that. Anyway, um, but that's like, you know, Sick the term room. limits is like, term limits is like, you know, that's like, yeah, so, so I get myself in trouble. No, but t- term limits is something that's understood by the DC establishment. They're like, we get it. We need to, you know, only maybe be in power for a little bit of time. But like that quiet statement is made like, oh, yeah, we just need to remove money from the government. It's like, oh yeah, we have to take away all your power. Everybody chill, it's all good. This is like a really big statement. And, and, and in a sense, if you look back to sort of the American Revolution, 1776, it was the same thing, right? They couldn't call it what you're calling it now. We can be more sophisticated. They wanted their own government. But what they really wanted was their own money, their own economy, right? What we've seen happen is uh, the Jekyll Island experiment of the Federal Reserve where you don't have money, we have federal reserve notes. And when you have the you know, the right amount, when, when you put the force of the government behind a system, which is really what we've sort of seen with the Fed, it's sort of co-opted this notion that we could be create you know, liberty and justice and democracy for all. So I think it's time for an upgrade. It's time, like Bitcoin is like the 2.0 of money of the United States. And it's time for us to sort of implement that in some way, shape or form. Um, You know, I'll tell you like, P and I really hit it off on Clubhouse when we started talking about uh, the Bank of International Settlements because it's so interesting to me the way they changed their strategy. Because originally it was they needed to ban Bitcoin. Now they need to create a CBDC to get rid of Bitcoin. But either which way, like Bitcoin's no good. and you know, I feel bad at times, P, that, like, we sort of dissed on Carstens and stuff, but what I don't understand is sort of, like, he's he's walked this road. He was in Mexico. He know, saw hyperinflation, but he's he thinks the whole solution still needs to come from central bankers to solve that problem for them, and at some point or another, like, look, like, I don't know why he feels like he needs to dominate the world. We need to let some other people go ahead and take a step back and think about how we want to you know regulate finance and that's what's so nice about bitcoin is it gives us this opportunity as like an experiment to kind of refresh where there isn't that economic opportunity where you don't have that ability to invest in a company because of the way the rules have gone where the dollar bills in your pocket whether you're making 250 thousand dollars a year or making 250 dollars you know a month every dollar's value is based on what maybe 400 people decide to do with it at the federal reserve every year
0: well said i'm curious jason and we will divert back to being a little bit more bitcoin focused in a moment but like i love having these type of conversations with people who are far more well-versed than me perusing a bunch of left and right media outlets as well as independent journalists but career politicians like, i despise them I'm curious, like, is there a necessity <laughs> to have these villainous leeches involved in the future of society? Or, like, the reason I bring up term limits and my interpretation of the way the U.S. government was founded was the idea that, hey, if a doctor sees something that's wrong, obviously I understand that doctors as a profession was not around in 1776. Nobody fucking say anything to me. I understand these things. But like, if a doctor sees an issue with the way there are policy structures around his work, he will close his practice, go into public policy to change those things because he understands it better than anyone else because he does it on a day-to-day basis. And then when those changes are done, he goes back to his practice. Same with the teacher, same with the police officer, etc. And yet we've deviated so far from that practice and now it's just you have a Nancy Pelosi who's been in office truly my entire life. Or you have who's my state senator who's like senile Diane Feinstein, who like literally has to be told what day of the week it is when she wakes up. Like that's not a re- representation of me. Like <laughs> what? So I I say all of I say all of these things just to genuinely like ask if there's a role for career politicians in the future, like what does that look like compared to today?
2: career politicians, it's, it's just never what was intended. Um, I think that like, uh, when we look at like Trump, like what is to me the motivation was always about how he wanted to kind of get into power, but I don't think he expected to sort of be where he is, right? S- suddenly here he is. He's, and it's interesting too, because like he, now wants to come back and, you know, is it ego? We're not really sure. It's kind of like we're in this period where there's a lot of these dynasty families that set things up like the Kennedys. Now we're sort of going to see the Trumps and we've seen the Bushes. we all kind of have this mentality of like, you'll be in power for four years and someone else will be in power for four years. Um, as long as it's all controlled. I think that uh, ultimately though, like we need to put the idea of a career politician out to pasture because, I just think that that to have them make those choices without the implications of what they need to do to get elected the next time, would actually free them up to do so much more. It shocked me when I first started dealing with a lot of stuff in the policy, which I did like five years ago, to know Q, that they spend like half their time fundraising. Like they go to Congress, they fly into Congress, they're in Congress, and they spend four hours a day like on the phone raising money for the next campaign. You know, I mean, it just it shocks me that there's there's that. I, don't
0: I went to school in D.C. Like most of my classmates work on the Hill in some capacity, and it's it's truly just a what what are we doing for the next campaign? A lot more than it's like what are we doing with the power we have today to make positive change and impact the communities that put us in these positions, which is again what it was designed to do. We just don't do that and it sucks but i don't know i feel like i'm just i'm venting to a therapist at this point who agrees with me on everything so i appreciate i appreciate that jason i'm gonna put you on the spot though because we love a good tinfoil hat conspiracy theory and i would love yours about trump and biden and it's okay that you're not wearing pants <laughs> <laughs> no
1: no you had it um, wrong cue um yeah. jason did us the incredible honor of putting on pants for this, this kind of, I,
0: I, full disclosure, I'm just in my boxers below. So I can't, can't bring the camera lower.
2: Sorry. Sorry. Um, it's not a, it's, 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 uh, I wouldn't even say it's a conspiracy theory, but it's something I thought about. It was very interesting. It was around 2016, 2017, when everyone was examining Trump and the Mueller investigation. So One of the things that came up in the Mueller investigation was the use of Bitcoin back in 16 by the Russians, right? Uh, To influence the campaign, the presidential campaign. And the truth is Jared Kushner knows, you know, how to use Bitcoin. And at one point it's actually documented. He had to go to the department of justice because at one point someone was literally doing a ransomware event on Kushner saying if he didn't give up the tax returns of his father-in-law, Trump, um they would you know it, it, he had to pay them bitcoin to stop them from doing that so back in 1617 we didn't really have a chain analysis or everyone kind of realizes by now hopefully everyone realizes by now you move bitcoin around if you're a criminal they're probably going to figure out where you've done it um and i'm not saying <clears throat> this and that it was a criminal activity but is it really that far of a reach to say that if the Russians were using Bitcoin to influence the presidential campaign in 16, that at some point or another, some Bitcoin wasn't sent in the opposite direction. In other words, potentially by the Trump campaign to the Russians to influence certain things as a way of not having to, you know, to pay off if, if in fact that was happening. So that's where my, the conspiracy hats and the alarms all go off of, you know, what's this guy talking about? But the interest I had in that is that the the power of that Bitcoin of number one, could it be tracked or is there evidence of it being tracked? Because what never made any sense to me, and I mean, I don't know what your, your take on this is, but never made any sense why Trump was so anti-Bitcoin. Like when it came out, he, like people were upset about Libra, right? But if you remember, and if you look at the timeline, like I'm really not that crazy conspiratorially because Though next week was when one of the big things of the Mueller campaign was coming out. When he came out with this big constructed tweet about how Libra is worthless, there's nothing to do with Libra. Also, there's really nothing to do with Bitcoin. And you know, when you have that feeling in your gut that like something doesn't quite seem right, number one, I've never saw Trump construct such a, you know, well-thought-out tweet, you know, explaining carefully why Libra is worthless and then why Bitcoin is worthless. The question was why? Why does he have to hate on Bitcoin? Well, if Bitcoin is worthless and no one does anything about it, it's kind of his way of saying Mueller doesn't have to look at it. Nobody's using Bitcoin, you know, forget about these Russians maybe using Bitcoin during the 2016 campaign. So, I mean, I have like no proof whatsoever of any of this beyond just the Russians clearly did use Bitcoin in their ops, but it would not, it would be interesting to me because we can track Bitcoin if one day we could find a government official high up who sort of the smoking gun was their use of Bitcoin, thinking it's somehow not visible to other people. And that kind of changed my worldview a little bit too, to be honest, because I realized the power of this technology and how, and this goes exactly what you were saying before Q, sorry, not trying to point at you, but seriously, like that's when you take the power of money away from the government, right? Like no one can manipulate that path of that money And it goes to you know Catherine Hahn, who now has our big Hahn fund and everything. But her start was with you know the Silk Road, where we we found some bad eggs in our own government who were trying to move money around and they were able to go to a bank and suppress the transaction on the fiat side of the USD, but they learned very quickly they couldn't change the fact that they had walked off with some Bitcoin. And people were able to figure that out by doing analytics that they had taken it literally from the crime scene. It wasn't like, oh, we just did a drug bust and you know, you, me, and let's say you're, you know, you're a fed, I'm a fed, and Pisa fed. We walk in like, oh, look, there's six million dollars here. We found a drug money. I mean, four million dollars, right, guys? Wink wink. Like you can't do that on the Bitcoin network. So to me, that just showed me like the power that I hope exists, um, where Bitcoin can really undermine the ability of any one politician trying to just rule the world and, and dominate for, for too long.
0: I love that. I love the reminder that like this is a public ledger. Um, I have my own theory on why, not necessarily like politicians, although yes, he was technically the president of the country. Um, like, There's a reason why billionaires don't like Bitcoin. There's a reason why ultra rich, super successful people don't like Bitcoin, like Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett. They have benefited and taken advantage of and figured out how to make excess money and returns on the current system. And I think they are maybe not smart enough to realize like how vastly different the Bitcoin monetary system would, a Bitcoin monetary system would look like. But they're smart enough to know that their practices and the way they built their wealth in the fiat system it's highly unlikely that they could repeat that system in a more bitcoin far more public far more transparent system um that's just my sort of rationale as to why someone like trump and hillary can only agree on one thing and one thing only and that is their hatred of bitcoin um i do want to yeah. I, I don't want to like keep on hounding on the trump of it all but i do want to switch gears now to biden um he had his executive order i believe now two months ago yeah which was more or less a promise to explore cryptocurrencies and like better understanding and create a report for congressional leaders to educate themselves on Mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies you saw or at least i saw gavin newsom in california more or less like it looked like me trying to copy the kid sitting next to me's homework in high school. He just took Biden's executive order, changed a few things around, wrote California instead of Congress. And then he passed that executive order for California to start exploring, learning and understanding how to use blockchain technology. Um, and then you're seeing today Biden coming out saying something about, well, oh, we're going to release a bill around Bitcoin uh, energy, Bitcoin mining energy usage. Um, potentially this is gonna come out before Senator Loomis's proposed bill. I'm curious your initial thoughts on just those executive orders that were passed to explore and help Congress learn more about the crypto environment.
2: So let's uh, go to a quick uh, PSA for everybody. Um, it's not Loomis. It's Lummus. Sorry, Q. You're, uh, uh, uh she even has a thing, right? About lumis. Yeah, she hates her. it.
1: It's lummus like hummus. Yeah. If you call her Loomis, uh, she has a little knife that she carries around with her everywhere. She'll stab you.
0: <laughs> I went in the hard way. No wonder she won't come on the show. Sorry, Ms. <laughs> Senator Lummus.
2: No. So look, I, you, you just broke news for me there because I didn't know that um the biden administration had done that about cutting energy i guess that must have been today maybe the last couple hours or something if not sooner i did not uh,
0: mean to put you on the spot this is like a developing story no No, but i did i did
1: i told you i was like yo ask the hard questions hit him with it
2: yeah yeah no i love that i love that i just like called out commissioner benham at the cftc for being too quick to judge bitcoin energy (laughs) Within two hours, the White House is like, "Listen, we got to stop this energy." Yeah. Hold my beer. Yeah. Um, God, that's so crazy. I can't believe that they're doing that so quickly. Well, um, look, the 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 Lummis Gillibrand bill is looking to like regulate the overall crypto markets. I think, to be honest, you're seeing a little bit of a back and forth because the executive order. Biden and digital assets, the one thing senators from both sides uh, said, meaning the Democrats and Republicans have said is it's not up to the executive uh, offices in the White House to like figure out what the legislation should be, right? So Gilbrand and Lummis are kind of introducing this bill to say that it should be the legislatures who legislate. People have been elected you know, by the people in the house come up with the legislation, president either signs it or vetoes it. So there's a little bit of back and forth, I think going on there. But um, it's, an easy, it's an easy one for them to kind of go after. Um, and I think it does trump a little bit of what Lummis and Gillibrand were trying to do. Um, I find it a little frustrating. Lummis and Gillibrand have been, or Lummis particularly has been working on this bill for about a year. While there might be some inherent problems in it, it's the first comprehensive bill to really clean up a lot of the activities that you were talking about earlier, Q. And if you want, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know, you could probably get Tyler Lindholm from their office on your show. Talk to him about it. You know, he's uh, the state rep, uh, and now he works at at Lummis's office. He won like Libertarian of the Year for like the Libertarian Party. He's a really great guy. And he he talks about, though, this focus of the SEC and the Howey test and kind of, getting out some of these things that just clearly are, are frauds, you know, from the system. So there was a lot of positive, And I think that's still going to move forward. That lummis Gilbrand bill that they're rolling out officially next week. This idea of the White House now, and yeah, I'll, I'll look into details of it, but uh, of reducing energy, it, it seems like an easy win. But I, I don't know necessarily that all the facts are there um, with, with what they're trying to accomplish. Because, you um, it strikes me more as something that Elizabeth Warren would do, uh, not necessarily that the White House would do on it. Um, so I'd love to see what scientific evidence that they, you know, come to the conclusion on. I'm sure it's been, you know, vetted pretty carefully. Uh, so, I'll pause there. I, it's, I'd love to learn more about it. It is. It is a surprise to me. I'm literally in a state of surprise that that happened. That. That should not have happened. Basically, the plan was like we just heard a complete curveball. The plan was supposed to be they were going to do some kind of stablecoin legislation. And everyone was going to go vote in November, but um, this makes it spicy. P. Now we got some serious stuff to talk about for the next few months over the summer um, because the White House pushing the White House pushing the energy narrative on Bitcoin, leaning into it. It's a pretty big deal. It's a huge deal. Wow. Do you
0: think Bitcoin? Or let me let me broaden the scope for a second, and then I'll focus it. But first, like, do you think crypto is going to be a talking point either at these midterm elections or in the twenty twenty four presidential race?
2: Yeah, I think it's already starting to become that, and we've seen Sam Bankman Fried of FTX. He's the number two fundraiser in the Democratic Party, my uh, uh, short of George Soros. Um. I really like when you shake your head, Chris. You get so excited. I feel like your hat's going to fall off. <laughs> and, and that's like a good feeling. It's like a clap. Like there's no like laughter or applause here. Like it's not like a sitcom, but I get Chris going like that. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> you know, look, I think that there is actually what I, where I don't even know what you asked me, but I'll say this. Basically, like, what we have now with this Biden administration saying this about the energy is he, he's making it clear climate change is really critical to his campaign. He's always made that to his presidential election. Oh yeah, how this will come up with the midterms. This will be a talking point that come up with the midterms. Sam Bankman-Fried um, of FTX uh, you know, has put in more money in, next to George Soros into democratic campaigns. So you're gonna start to see this as a conversation piece the biggest one I think is going to be about energy. And it's not because I think it's only because it's the easiest one for people to break down like, oh yeah, use a lot of energy. Makes sense. Let's stop it. It's kind of like the same thing. Like this is like the SUV of cars when suddenly it was like you were shamed for driving a Hummer. Like now if you, oh, you have a Bitcoin miner in house. It's like you have your, your Hummer, you know, or your big SUV that's gas guzzling. So of course you're having a democratic administration that's coming out in a big way to kind of, Say, look, you gotta stop this Bitcoin mining. You're destroying the world, you're destroying the earth. And then, you know, I know people don't like, they like to believe the idea that Bitcoin's sort of this bipartisan issue, but I think this is where Republicans will come in and have to push back a little bit on this notion of like, you know, stop trying to regulate this digital asset out over, you know, this energy argument, you know. And sorry, Chris, I didn't mean to pick on you about the hat. I don't know. So maybe yeah, he, he loved it. It must be time for my nap <laughs> <laughs> i just awesome.
0: anyone anyone who wants to criticize biden's energy policy should just respond by saying his energy energy policy is malarkey, malarkey. <laughs> yeah i think
1: that like you should drive down in your 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 jalopy to the courthouse and file a motion
2: and you know i hate the even way i'm explaining that now p because it's like by saying that it's like they're saying that bitcoin miners are like the next suvs It's like admitting that bitcoin is using too much energy and that's the sole problem right we know there's renewables there's other it's not it's not apples to apples comparison either either um i have given credit and i will give credit to the bitcoin critics with this conversation that that is probably the best fud of the decade it has disrupted more things for bitcoin by talking about the energy usage than i've seen so they you know it's sort of like Empire Strikes Back, like they did a good job, you know, they chopped off Luke's hand. Like, you know, we're all kind of retreating from this energy notion. And it's a problem. It really is. It, it's you see it affecting even today. It's it's like the Achilles heel uh for the industry right now when they bring this up. And um we're still we're still responding to it. We're not yet even offensively pushing our own agenda. It's yeah, a real it's,
1: it's really hard because you know, the the ESG narrative and energy FUD is, you know, around Bitcoin and in general, but specifically around Bitcoin, is total horseshit. The problem is that it is based on or rather it it ties into and hooks into these fallacious beliefs that so many people that are already very dominant in the US mindset. And so it's really hard to effectively kind of cut the legs out from under it, because instead of being able to say to somebody, hey, look, I understand where you're coming from, here's why that doesn't make sense. You actually can't, it's very difficult to effectively do that when you're talking about the energy use of Bitcoin, because people's views on it are so warped. You know, we were talking about this in a a conversation recently where, you know, there's so many facts that you can throw at somebody like, oh, hey, do you dry your clothes? Because clothes dryers in the United States use far more energy than the entire Bitcoin network do you use Christmas lights? Because Christmas lights just over Christmas use more energy in the United States alone than the entire Bitcoin network. The problem with those angles, which are which are true statements, is that people, they, they don't actually engage with them um, honestly. The issue is that people have been convinced that the usage of energy in general is fucked up, but they don't even care about their own interactions with that. And so it's really hard to basically completely, you have to basically deconstruct the entire, someone's entire belief system around energy in order to effectively make them understand why Bitcoin's energy use is not an issue. And that's a very difficult thing to do.
2: The the frustrating thing uh, that I hate about this is like Q, like to your points earlier on, what we were talking about is, we had some really good threads there, like how do we fix the regulatory environment? There's some kind of solution to self-regulatory organization, the fact that there's people out there that are still stuck with these accredited investor rules, you know, the hopes of Bitcoin, how do we clean up the highway so we have better rules on that highway and people aren't just speeding and there's like no enforcement. And that's what pisses me off is that then we get in this like, it's like, Blotted out by the sun, you know. Now we're going to be talking about Bitcoin and energy for the next two weeks because we might see legislation about it, and all the other good stuff that we were just talking about kind of gets pushed to the wayside. So it's 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 like a big distractor, and um, it's it's kind of boring too at a certain level, right? I mean, is it really that thought provoking that we need to like slow down the number of miners that we turn on, like? So, um, but I guess, you know, it was probably inevitable. What worries me about the Bitcoin ESG FUD for us in this community and in general, other things is when Bitcoin is winning, they find ways of doing these attack vectors on the digital asset. That really has nothing to do with the value proposition of it, right? Bitcoin hands down is probably, you know, a thousand times better than any CBDC ever would be. Like, you know, Recently, the last like month or so, I've started to see articles in New York Post and others where they've done these studies saying that like people into Bitcoin are psychotic, right? They have the notions of of, of, psych, of psycho, you know, <laughs> psycho final problems. I, you mean, don't I problem.
1: definitely am, but I think, it's, yeah. I think it's inappropriate to put that on everybody else.
2: Right, but, but that's like, like, and you talk about like why you don't like the government queue, that's like, it's like the ultimate site, psyops, right? When you start trying to convince people that people into Bitcoin are nuts. And then all the people with like the traditional money are like, well, I want Bitcoin, but I just read those people, are crazy. So like they're finding ways to kind of try to beat up Bitcoin, but not really do it in a fair fight. You know, not just straight up say, we think US dollars better than bitcoin let's just have it at it in the ring it's all these periphery no, it,
0: it's that it's that age old argument of like if you can't or the the process in which lawyers argue a case like if you can't win off of the facts of the case you attack their um credibility and that's all that that's this entire calling us psychopaths like i call myself a psychopath i literally have gone on dates and like, told girls point blank, like, if you're gonna date me, you need to know I am a what? genuine psychopath.
1: And this is why you are alone living in your mother's basement queue.
0: You've met my girlfriend.
1: All right, let's, I let's, met a person. I mean, <laughs> uh, they, she could have been a hired actor, bro. <laughs> Facts
0: are what you make them.
2: Did she ask me you how your trade's going in a DM before you? <laughs>
0: That is amazing. Honestly, I'm glad, uh, you didn't, you didn't just trust. Yeah.
1: I can tell a paid actor when I see one.
0: Look, they're not called paid actors. They're called escorts. <laughs> I really hope my girlfriend is not watching this episode. Hi, babe. I love you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but you, you make a good point. Q. I I mean, uh, these are crazy times. And, uh, and and i think the ad hominem attacks will continue and uh it you know i said this before but it's it's i use this in a different frame i was talking about like shit coins but it, it's kind of like a ddos attack right it's a denial of service attack on our, our brains right it is very distracting to have to constantly fend off all of these spurious and random and inappropriate and untrue claims that are made that are designed to discredit this thing which is the most important asset that's ever that's ever existed and it's one of the reasons jason that i i have so much respect and admiration for you it's because like this is your full-time job like this is what you do you know q and i get on uh you know this podcast and just talk shit all day you are one of the people who actually you know (laughs) puts on your your spelunking outfit and and goes and 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 fights the good fight in an area that i am most of us are just unable to um to contribute so everyone can i don't know i think it's really important that it refines the thing that they are are exceptional at and uses that those abilities that they have to continue to support bitcoin so thank you is what i'm trying to say
2: no, no thanks needed. Like I said, this is a, really a second chance in life for me of an opportunity of this amazing community of people who speak what I was thinking and felt like I was sort of on my own with thinking through back in 08 and 09. And I just feel like rode more by the U.S. government and our financial system than like if something goes wrong or something fails, like there's this promise, but like really it's all about that we all have to believe the us dollar is worth a certain amount and i think that's what bitcoin has has wedged itself into in a very painful way of recognizing well what is a fiat you know dollar when we look at the idea of fiat right fiat is a declaration it's like i declare the you know worth something it's like the um knight's tale if you ever saw the movie knight's tale you know where that you know he gets the writs of he's a knight or whatever it's like Someone just decided, I'm going to say I'm a knight and you got these papers, you know, it's like, and we say it's worth something. And so what's exciting about the world we live in is we have the opportunity to challenge these beliefs. We have the opportunity to talk about it freely, like we do on this program. And, uh, you know, we, with the exception of Q's conversation later with his girlfriend, you know, we're all safe. So.
1: Yeah, I just, I, <laughs> I love the uh, Ben Bernanke uh interview i think it was ben bernanke who was like please please stop using the term fiat it is offensive to me and my people uh don't use that word it's unnecessary i think that is hilarious uh you
2: know and i will like and and i I will say like ben bernanke you know we criticize these figures and everything but i remember from like 08 and 09 I, i do understand where he was coming from in that financial crisis and we have to think about this longer than like our own lifetimes because with the great depression of the thirties, he was a real student of that. And the real problem in the great depression is there wasn't credit made available in markets. So everything seized up and everything was devastated. So what he, you know, when he talked about helicopter money, he said, it's, it's a aid, but he's like, this is what we got to do. So in the sense, if we want to try to evolve as humans, we can say, well, now maybe there's another solution than just printing money, for money's sake you know or just not giving out any credit maybe it's you know the bitcoin economy it's the austrian economics and thinking through what is really valuable and and how we want to live and that's something that that we're all going to have to kind of come to terms with because the current course of our economy is like not like in the direction that it should be right we have way too much debt the deficit and That's what inspires me to keep going and to do the work that I do, P, is because I think of the opportunities I've had in life and been very blessed, but also where you have millennials and and Z coming in to an economy that's just been messed up where it's the first time we're saying, you know, the American dream really doesn't exist for the next generation. So uh, maybe instead of becoming DeFi, DGENs, we can find a way to have uh, people see Bitcoin as the promised land. So,
0: Well said. Jason, this has been awesome. P, thank you for introducing me to a new friend. Jason, truly look forward to our next conversation where we pick things up and hopefully the powers that be don't fuck things up too bad for us. Um, For everyone who's not already following you, where is the best place to stay up to date with everything that you have cooking?
2: Well, I've been rolling out regulatory Jason more and more, which should uh, make P happy. So you can find me at Regulatory Jason on Twitter right now. It's the best way. DM me there, and um, more to come.
1: Everyone should follow uh, Jason. He's an incredible dude. Thank you so much, man.
2: You guys, are the best thanks P you as well. All right. That's all. <laughs>